0: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network.
1: Hey there, it's The Hash on Coindesk TV. You're watching this, maybe you're listening to it. We're happy that you're here. I am Zach Seward. We're joined today by Wendy O., Jen Sanasi, and Will Foxley. Jen has our first story, and she will take it from here. Jen.
2: Yeah, Coinbase is the first crypto company to join the Fortune 500 list, so they had a recorded revenue of over $7.8 billion last year. The exchange was noted by Fortune Editor-in-Chief Allison Chantel as one of several pandemic winners that thrived under the freakish circumstances of COVID and flourished there after. So the first crypto company to enter that Fortune 500, of course, we know Walmart, Amazon, Apple hold the first three spots. Maybe we're going to see some more crypto companies creep onto the list. Wendy, I'm going to pass this down to you. Is this a cause for celebration in your world?
0: Well, we all have a love and hate relationship with Coinbase because anytime the market is going crazy, Coinbase can go down at times. So I think that this is exciting because it does put the spotlight on cryptocurrency, but at the same time, it is a centralized exchange, and we do always encourage for people to own their own keys to hold their own Bitcoin, et cetera. But I do think that this is a win for the entire market because it's kind of positive spotlight for Coinbase. But at the same time, isn't their coin stock down right now? Oh yeah, it
3: is. It, is. And it has been down but, a lot this year. the
2: you know, market.
3: It's part of the market. I'll jump in there and just add my two stats really quick. It's pretty cool to see a crypto company get into a Fortune 500 spot only, you know, 13 years into the industry. I think we always look at these valuations, we look at the money, we look at uh, how much people are earning in crypto and just sort of assume that it's like a, a big dog industry, but it's still pretty small like in terms of like the larger industries that are out there. It's dwarfed by the larger traditional finance markets. And Bitcoin is even close to what gold market cap is at right now and gold is a very small part of traditional finance. right? So to see something like Coinbase get into a Fortune 500 bot speaks to where crypto is going. Coinbase is the most well-known crypto company out there. And they rightfully deserve that spot because they've bellwethered through all these issues over the last few years, many Michael uh, cycle downturns, and they've come out on the other side. Regardless of all the hater aid that they get, regardless of all the frustrations with Brian Armstrong and like the changes in tactics from only listing Bitcoin and a few tokens to listing every token under the sun. They are the dominant team out there and they're spearheading a lot of things. There's no other team that's like spearheading this far. And I'm not a stand for Coinbase in any stretch of the imagination. But it is important to say like, hey, someone actually made it. Someone made the first on the list and that's Coinbase. So they're obviously doing something right. Zach, I'll throw it up to you.
1: Smaller than Bath and Body Works, but bigger than T. Row Price. It is pretty funny to see Coinbase on this list of household names. And it does speak to the major come up that they rode in this last bull cycle. They're sort of, as much as we may hate to admit it, they are sort of the flagship of the crypto industry, especially in the public markets in the US, but even more so. And I think, uh, you know, them being included on in a list such as this is certainly worth remarking on you know, Coinbase stays interesting, right? They try to stay ahead of the game. They try to stay ahead of the curve. They do famously go down when things kind of hit the fan in the markets. But sure enough, I think they are most people's in the US gateway to the crypto economy for better and worse. So it's interesting to see whether or not they're gonna be able to leverage this into a bit more maybe love for the share price, which is definitely way, way down compared to when it launched last April. But yeah, They still remain a major gateway, both on the retail side, but also importantly on on the institutional side. We forget about Coinbase as a big time institutional player when it comes to getting big old corporate players involved in the crypto space. So that's worth remembering as well. Jen, I'll toss it to you.
2: Yeah, just on the note of their share price, they did say that they expect that to continue going down into the second quarter. And every time we talk about Coinbase, I have to just bring up the fact that they are now producing Hollywood films. I'm still shocked. And I will bring it up every single time.
3: They got money to spend, so they can't. That's why they're doing that video, right? Exactly.
2: Bored Apes, a trilogy, three films. Who would have thought? I do want to talk about a story I was reading this morning about Coinbase. So they're reportedly asking employees to rate each other. So, this is according to a report from the information staff are being encouraged to give their fellow peers, their colleagues, either a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or neutral rating after every meeting and when i read this it felt very kind of black mirror to me and wild but then i thought like how fun would it be if we could just all rate each other after the show i mean fun and probably sad for some people some of the time
3: you get a thumbs up every time jen i doing, doing a good job
2: thanks well
3: you're welcome <laughs> Before when Wendy's up
0: before we talk about our next story i guess isn't this like not HR kosher to do. I feel that that might not be the best. Is it legal to do this? Like is HR, have they approved this?
1: Yeah, I guess it's the corporatization of crypto, you know, big companies doing funny things. Noted in the pieces, this was sort of pioneered by Ray Dalio's Bridgewater Associates, which is a big old hedge fund. And he was using this as a tool to get radical transparency so he could foster deeper relationships with his employees. It is kind of weird to think of everyone's interactions being rated and graded and assessed and you know, potentially acted upon at bonus time, but such is the way of uh, corporate culture, I guess. I don't know. I give you well I give you a thumbs up every time. Every time Thanks, man. I would do it. It's like when, changing my like rating, When you go to the sorry. post office, when you go to the post office and there's like the smiley face, like the medium face, yeah. and then the up- upside down face. Yeah, this is that <laughs> radical sort of user feedback integrating itself into the big old crypto company. But hey, weird stuff. Anyway, Wendy, it's your story. Take it away.
0: Well, I guess changing topics, the U.S. Federal Reserve is now considering whether to launch a CBDC like other nations and bankers argue that it's a dangerous idea. So some interesting things from this story. Big bankers don't like it. Wall Street does not like it. And from this article here, the Fed board suggests that any plan should have the backing of Congress and the administration, which apparently new Fed board members we're sworn in on Monday, mark an official transition to the era of the Biden appointees. And according to Manager Bank Policy Institute on Wall Street, a CBDC would seriously disrupt the financial system and harm consumers and businesses. When I read that initially, I said, no, it's going to harm their control to an extent. And then a spokesperson at the American Bankers Association said the CBDC would mean deposits accounting for 71% of bank funding are at-risk of moving to the Federal Reserve, and this would dramatically increase the cost of funding in bank sector to an unstable level. And lastly, they also said that this would actually be good because it would add for more inclusion in banking in general, because let's face it, there are a lot of people that are in bank that don't necessarily have access to their funds all the time, like most of us that have our funds in the bank. So I want to actually hand this over to Will and get your thoughts on
3: Yeah, that last line is the most important to me, so I'll read it again. American Bankers Association predicted in its own letter that digital dollar would mean deposits accounting for 71% banking funds are at risk of moving to the Federal Reserve. So breaking that down, if we have banks, they're commercial banks, what they have is deposits in larger banks. And those larger banks like JP Morgan, and stuff like that, they have accounts with the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve basically can turn on or off the taps, change the interest rate, change how much money a bank has to have in its deposits to protect itself against a bank run, things of that nature. And that basically is set up so there's guardrails on the banking system. Commercial banks, they work for the middle guy, they work for retail, they work for small businesses. And the purpose is just to get money into those people's hands, also provide a, a means for savings. You have those larger banks to serve the smaller banks It goes all the way up to the top of the food chain what would happen in a cbdc and what they're describing here is that the federal reserve and the larger banks would basically be able to leapfrog the commercial banks so all these commercial banks that are you're working with that you're putting your your p- pennies into putting your savings into maybe a car dealership is working with or like a pharmaceutical company like local stuff they wouldn't work with the commercial bank anymore because why would you you have less friction if you can just use a federal reserve system with a digital dollar be right on your phone you can have access right to the federal reserve you can have access to more immediate interest rate changes, things like that. You might have like less granular like, customer service, but it doesn't matter because the Federal Reserve is going to do what it wants to do. Uh, that could hurt commercial banks, which is a huge industry. That could also lead to a lot of privacy concerns and a lot of monetary pressure on smaller people. right? So the Federal Reserve is changing things directly, not just touching commercial banks anymore, but touching the consumer directly. Then you get into a weird dystopian zone where the federal government is changing the money in your pocket almost immediately. Like they can change things that you're not really sure of. And we see this in China, right? With their CBDCs been rolling out. They've talked about being able to turn off people's money in their pocket, using a smart contract saying, no, you can't spend those uh, yen in that store. We don't like that retailer or we don't like you. We're not going to allow you to travel. We're not allowing you to purchase this food item. That's pretty freaky. And so that's why a lot of people are against CBDCs. That's why a lot of people are also against them just like deploy anything in this realm. I'll throw it over to Jen though for your take.
2: Yeah, well, I think you did a perfect job of summing up what's going on there. I want to point to a quote from an article that we're going to speak about later. So Senator Pat Toomey was on a panel in Davos and he mentioned a bill that he introduced to regulate stable coins. He said, I think we have to have a framework <laughs> that allows privately issued stable coins to thrive in a rational framework. And if that happens, I'm not sure how much we need a digital dollar. And I think that's an interesting stance to take. I think right now we're seeing the Fed, we're seeing regulators talk about everything in crypto. And it kind of feels like we're talking about everything with our heads cut off. There's a lot of talking happening and not a lot of doing. And maybe if we focused on what's happening with stablecoins, that could be an alternative that could appease all of the stakeholders here. But, Wendy, what are your thoughts?
0: Before I hand it over to Zach, a very interesting thing. Do you guys remember in the very, very beginning of the panorama, everybody was talking about getting the stable coin out because they were having issues distributing the stimulus checks. It was a super big topic, hot topic. I covered it on my show and then it went away. But come to find out, they've been actually studying Bitcoin. They've been studying cryptocurrencies. They've been studying how to kind of integrate a CBDC since then. But we haven't seen much movement from the United States. And now we have the Federal Reserve coming out saying, "Ah, oh, we need this, but then we don't. And then the banks are like, "Ah, oh, we need this, but we don't. So everybody's kind of fighting. I honestly really, really feel like I'm putting on the tinfoil hat. I really feel like the CBDC of choice is going to be USDC. That's my personal opinion. Call me a tinfoil hat wearing person or not. I don't know. Zach, what are your thoughts?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like the allure of the CBDC. It's like akin to an airdrop. Oh, I just got my Federal Reserve airdrop in my phone. And, you know, I think central bankers are saying, okay, we can, you know, like Will mentioned, we can sort of put smart contract attachments to these assets and say, okay, you have to spend these by December 31st or they go Mm -hmm. away. All right. That's a cool lever to have. If you're looking to juice economic activity in the US, but it's also kind of weird to think about that, you know, those funds disappearing. They're not, not really yours unless you spend them or do something that, you know, central bankers are desiring to achieve. So that's sort of the prospect, but with that added efficiency, come some of these mechanical challenges the banking lobbying groups here are really piping up for. It's like, hey, like if you change the system, how it works, big swaths of the economy are gonna be hurt like in a major way. The report is interesting to me because it kind of reveals that mechanical reality of what introducing a CBDC could do that may not be fully thought out beyond what it's trying to achieve from the central bank. It would be really interesting to see if. Big banking groups become the loudest opponents of a CBDC and also potentially voice strong support for a stablecoin, which could also ultimately kind of serve their business interests if we're talking about holding assets in reserve that are backing these digital dollars that exist in the wild. But anyway, for another day.
3: Let's move over to Central African Republic, which made a lot of news last month when it said, hey, we're actually going to make Bitcoin legal tender here. They've now opened up some new plans to uh, open up a crypto island, amongst other things, including a national wallet and a digital asset scheme under a project called Sengo. I think a lot of this information is still forth-rolling. A lot of people didn't know that the Central African Republic was even interested in moving forward with Bitcoin. And so I think there's going to be a lot of investigative reporting into what this means for the Central African Republic. Just for some context, it's one of the least developed countries on earth. Uh, its GDP last year was 2.4 billion dollars. Compare that to Elon Musk, who's worth probably around 150 to 200 billion dollars, depending on where markets are at. And you get a good picture of where they are at in terms of economic development. That's not stopping them from moving forward with Bitcoin adoption, though. To a lot of people's surprise and to some people's chagrin, IMF is not super happy with them moving forward with this plan. And it's happening right when we're at Davos. So interesting little intersection of timeline there. Jen, I'm gonna throw a story to you for your take.
2: Yeah, so when we first spoke about this story, I thought, you know, Bitcoin could be a really interesting way for the people in the Central African Republic to store their funds, a way for them to send and receive money across borders, a way for them to do peer-to-peer transactions. Now I'm reading about this hub, and I just think the idea of attracting crypto enthusiasts to the Central African Republic is a grand dream, and there are so many things that need to be addressed in this country before we can have a crypto hub there. I believe there's been civil war happening in the Central African Republic since 2012. Only 3% of the population have access to food and healthcare. There's a healthcare shortage there. I looked at the Canadian government's travel advisory this morning, it was kind of at an absolute do not visit. And so when you read about this country, this picture, is painted of a very unstable nation. And I don't know that having a crypto hub is the way to address any of those concerns that are really affecting the people who live there now. And so I don't really know what to make of the story beyond that, but Wendy.
0: So I'm gonna give a different perspective of this. So we read all these statistics that are published by outside sources. And when we look at a country that's having some issues economically, we see them kind of looking towards Bitcoin as a safe haven. To me, that's why Satoshi created Bitcoin was to help the underdogs. At the end of the day, no matter where you are, if you wanna have access to Bitcoin, if you wanna educate yourself, you can. And I feel like we're gonna see a lot more of these smaller countries that are in economic turmoil or duress kind of go towards Bitcoin for a safe haven. And yes, the IMF is not gonna like it. The other governing bodies that are around these areas, they're not gonna like it either. But realistically, when you have nothing to lose, and you have this thing that could potentially save you or potentially help improve the quality of life of yourself and your people, wouldn't you rather take a shot and try something new as opposed to just continue to remain stagnant? Zach?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. We talked about this yesterday in the context of Bitcoin mining up in Niagara Falls, New York, but I think countries are playing this game as well, where crypto represents an economic development opportunity. You know, we've seen some of these smaller jurisdictions spin up more crypt-friendly legislation and all of a sudden businesses rushed in, whether that's the Seychelles or the Bahamas or any number of these other places. they like Malta for a minute was trying to be a big crypto thing. So it makes perfect sense to me that other countries are trying to follow suit, especially ones who don't have great financial prospects otherwise, right? They can say, hey, we can be supportive of this industry and we can attract people to build here. Let's do it. And so that's what Central African Republic seems to be doing in this case. And we've seen it work in some other countries around the globe who sort of bootstrap this ecosystem that brings money into some of these countries that otherwise wouldn't be there. So it's going to be interesting to see this horse race, really. We've seen countries jockey for this position. Who can be the crypto-friendliest? Who can support this industry in the most innovative way possible? And CAR here is throwing its hat into the ring. I'll toss it down to Will for for last thoughts, however.
3: Yeah, just to Jen's point, I, I think there's... Arguments for what you're saying as well. Like, there needs to be some progress in other areas before you want to see progress in like the Bitcoin bro space. When I think anyone who's on Bitcoin Twitter too much, crypto Twitter too much, sees like all the pump dumps and tokens and the casinos and looks at them, it's like this isn't a very serious thing. But if you also look at some of the interesting stories with human rights, you can see that Bitcoin does fill a role for a lot of people. And perhaps Bitcoin can fill a role in the Central African Republic. There is a really high correlation between countries that don't have their own monetary system their own monetary policy and those that are underdeveloped. And unfortunately, the Central African Republic is one of those countries, right? What do they use? They use a basically a knockoff of the franc. Right? The French central bank has been controlling monetary policy in that region for decades now. And the Central African Republic doesn't have a lot of choices for what they're going to do to help their economy out. And I think they're looking for alternatives much in the same way that El Salvador is looking for an alternative from a dollar. Whether it works out or not is anyone's guess, right? It could completely fail. Bitcoin might not be up for the task, but at least they're trying something else. At least they're trying to set themselves up with a good system going forward. I think currency is typically the first thing you want is cement in place. So then economic activity can be built on top of it afterwards. So that's my two cents about the whole situation. You guys
1: are ready for some geographic whiplash? ready Uh going from the central african republic to lovely switzerland we're going to davos (laughs) where the annual meeting of the world economic forum is happening as we speak some of our colleagues are over there covering the scene from the coindesk perspective and capturing what's happening around crypto conversations so not the first time crypto has had a presence in davos I was there for the 2020 annual meeting, it was cool. The 2022 meeting also is seeing quite a bit of conversation, whether that's around CBDCs or real crypto. So this is a nice piece, go check it out if you can. It kind of captures the vibe report over on the promenade and is interesting. Let's toss this to Jen for her initial thoughts on where Davos fits in the crypto picture.
2: Yeah, I loved this vibe report. I don't remember who wrote it, Zach. You can fill me in, but they did a really great job at painting the picture of what's happening in Davos right now. I think to not have crypto involved in the World Economic Forum's annual meeting would just be silly. If you look at the conversations that are being had across the world amongst all governments, we talk about them here on the show all the time. So it would just be silly if there were no conversations around crypto. And I think As more and more of these events happen in different countries around the world, crypto has to become a part of the conversation because governments see that it is the future of money. There are so many nuggets in this story, and I want to point to one. So Circle CEO Jeremy Allaire said, we don't think about cross-border emails. We don't think about having a cross-border web browsing session. It's absurd to think about that, and I believe we're on the cusp of that with money. And I think when it comes to remittances, I believe the concept of a remittance will also disappear. And this reminded me of that meme that's out there. That's like, it's like the beginning of the internet. you know? Right now, we don't know about the technology behind email. We just know that we have an email. And so to see Jeremy Allaire say that, I, I really think it's awesome that this is being talked about on a world stage and people are understanding that we don't need to focus on these little technological things that we do so much in this industry because it doesn't actually matter. What matters is the use case for the end user. Wendy, I'll pass it up to you.
0: So I absolutely love to see crypto being talked about at such a big event. But at the same time, it's kind of like a double-edged sword to me. Like we're letting these people come in that have all of this power. I do not trust ivory towers any way, shape or form. I don't. I always feel like there's some other intent happening because at the end of the day, a lot of these people are supposed to be public servants and serve the public and not necessarily vibing with that. But at the end of the day, for adoption, it's good. I'm just hoping that the leaders that we have in crypto that are there representing us feel the same way I do or feel very similar and kind of do their best to represent the underdog.
3: I'll pick it up really quickly here. I think there's an odd difference between crypto and WEF crypto, which a lot of people are seeing now with the people who are going to Davos, right? Brad Garlinghouse is known for attacking a lot of different cryptos out there that are not. Ripple or not associated with XRP Ledger. And he's there front and center. And a lot of other people that uh, are in Davos right now are not necessarily like the people that mainstream crypto people want there, right? A lot of the Bitcoin maximalists of the group have a lot of skepticism about Davos, a lot of skepticism about the World Economic Forum. And there definitely is like a break between those two things. There's a schism and there's a conversation gap between. A lot of Bitcoiners and a lot of people who are trying to build like these platforms for cross payments or trying to build like a new financial system using crypto. Uh, and it's interesting to see that the people who often go to Davos and interact with traditional finance and interact with these ivory towers, as you put it, Wendy, are typically people who are not really associated with Bitcoin. They're more associated with different projects. And I, I don't know if it's a wrong or a right thing, but at the very least, there's a difference between the two things and the difference between who and who is not there. You you don't see a lot of people from Blockstream at WEF. You don't see a lot of people from Unchained Labs at WEF. You don't see a lot of Bitcoin companies there. You do see things like Circle. You do see things like Ripple and XRP. And I think that definitely shows some skepticism in a lot of the Bitcoin circles and then also uh, can lead to like less productive conversations because there's a lot of mudslinging across both camps. Zach, I want to get back to you though for last thoughts.
1: That was a good summation. You know, Davos has always sort of been the emblem of like you know, blockchain, not Bitcoin, right? Remember that conversation from last cycle? How do we take crypto and sanitize it so that world leaders can really get on board? I think those conversations have evolved. Jen, I want to throw it to you because you kind of pointed out that discussion around private stable coins versus CBDCs in the earlier segment. You're starting to see sort of, that level of conversation. Where do these things fit in as we talk about re engineering the financial system? I don't know. I'm going to toss it to Jen for her thoughts on whether stablecoin conversations seem productive in this venue.
2: Oh, that's a big question. Yes. I think you know, we're seeing governments all over the world have this whole stablecoin debate. They're looking at what's happening in China to all the points that Will brought up in that stablecoin conversation. I think these conversations need to happen in a place like the World Economic Forum because more people talk about it then, more people become educated. It's not just us on CoinDesk talking to people who understand crypto, it's regular reporters from news outlets all over the world. And so I think the conversations are important, but Will, to your point, there should be more representation and I think just the dynamic of the industry in general. Place to that representation, right? The Bitcoin maxis don't want to be in the same room as some of the people who are at the WEF. And that should change. I think the conversations need to happen at more mainstream forums in a more diverse and, I guess, equitable way. But Wendy?
0: But wouldn't that be counterproductive? Like if you're a Bitcoin maximalist and you're super, super bullish on Bitcoin being the thing, why wouldn't you want to personally attend this event to represent Bitcoin, to represent the power of decentralization, to represent the power of being self sovereign and freedom? And kind of combat against, you know, the discussion regarding stable coins or XRP or whatever else.
2: Totally. I think that's what should happen. I think there should be representation and those people should be there. Mm. Well, maybe next year they Mm. will attend.
1: I think actually notably Tether is a bit more present in this year's gathering. They did this thing in Lugano, which is also in Switzerland, where Bitcoin is being sort of accepted in some limited capacity. So I think they're potentially carrying the torch for some of those conversations. But who knows? All right. That's it for today. We'll wrap it there. Good times. Good chatting with y'all. Thumbs up all around. If we were at Coinbase, I would be tapping that into the app right now. Thumbs up. thumbs up. Thumbs up. Good job. thumbs up. Thumbs up. Good meeting. Good, Good job. job guys. Good job. Control, thumbs Control, up for you too. Control, neutral. All right. Oh, no, no. Don't do it. Don't do it. They're going to cut us off. It's going to be terrible. All right. I'm wrapping <laughs> the show. I'm Zach. There's Wendy O. There's Jen. There's Will. We're the hash. We bring you the latest in crypto news, culture, and all the things that come to mind all right check us out on the podcast network go give that a listen if you haven't already coindesk podcast network a lot of good shows on there including this one check that out also get ready for consensus june 9th through 12th in austin texas gonna be fun gonna be crazy gonna be a lot but it's gonna be good too so check that out get a ticket if you haven't already all right good times people We appreciate you tuning in. We hope to see you soon. And until then, bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.